Thank you so much for checking out the Christian Church of Clarendon Hills podcast. We hope that you enjoyed today's sermon. We invite you to stop by www.cccch.org to find out more about our church and to make plans to visit us on a Sunday morning. Well, how about fall? Five days ago it was 87 degrees, and now all it feels like is we should be drinking apple cider. Hey, quick show of hands. If you know what the four fundamental forces of nuclear physics are, or if you've ever been to Sacramento, raise your hand. Okay, you can put them down. As we continue on in our book of Colossians today, throughout this fall, we're reading this fantastic book every Sunday, and I get to teach from the most exciting, richest, deepest section of this book. I pulled the long stick, or the short stick, or I don't even, whatever stick is best, I pulled it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read about eight verses of this passage and take a look at just the first five of them in depth. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the book of Colossians. The page number should be on the uh, on the screen if you're going to read from the Bible in front of you in the chair back, or if you want to uh, read along your device, that's fine, or the, uh, the verses will be on the screens uh, in front of you. Colossians, starting in chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Uh, This uh, book of Colossians is all about having new life in Jesus Christ. And this passage, Paul talks about how when you have new life in Jesus Christ, you have a new God. That may seem a little strange to us, but wouldn't have seemed strange at all to the original recipients of this letter. Because the original recipients of this letter were part of the Roman Empire. The city of Colossae, where this uh, book was sent, this letter was sent to, the city of Colossae, it's in modern day Turkey, it was part of the Roman uh, Empire. As you may know, the Roman Empire was led by people called emperors. That was their title. Some would call them Caesars, but emperors. There was Emperor Augustus, Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And when this letter was written, the dreaded Emperor Nero was in charge. In this passage, Paul encourages the Colossians that they need a new God because the emperors were saying that they themselves were God. 
And Paul uses really clever language. I've been looking, to, looking forward to showing you how he's doing this. Really cleverly shows and compares what Romans believed to what Christians believed. What he did is he would take quotes. Paul took quotes that were said about the emperor. Sayings and quotes that were said about the emperor and then compared those to Jesus. For instance, there was a quote said of the emperor, that the emperor is the beginning of all things. But Paul says here in verses 15 and 17, no, 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 Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, and he is before all things. Next, it's said that he, the emperor, is the beginning of all things. And Paul, Paul says about Jesus that uh, through Jesus all things have been created, not the emperor. The emperor isn't the beginning of all things. Jesus, through Jesus, all things have been created. Also was said that the emperor is God in the flesh. But Paul says, no, 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 no. All of God dwells in Jesus. And lastly, it was said to the emperor that he brought an end to war. The emperor brought an end to war. But Paul says that God made peace through Jesus. And so knowing that he is comparing and contrasting the emperor to Jesus, listen again to those first few verses. The son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It would have been obvious to the original recipients of this letter that when they heard words like power, ruler, throne, authority, that he's talking about the Roman Empire. It would have been crystal clear to them. Paul is telling them that you need a new God the emperor isn't God, Jesus is God. In the early days of the church, there was a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was brutally persecuted at the hands of the Romans who afflicted Christians for the first few centuries of the church's existence. Polycarp lived to be an old man so old that he personally knew the Apostle John, Jesus' best friend and cousin. One time, Polycarp was brought before his local Roman magistrate, which is like a, a mayor. And the magistrate told him that all you need to do to stay in good standing with the Roman government is to offer a pinch of incense, just, just a pinch of incense into this fire that was before a statue of the Roman emperor. It was considered an act of worship, a minor one, a minor one, but still was considered an act of worship. 
is to offer a pinch of incense into this fire before the statue of the Roman emperor. Polycarp refused, saying this, 86 years I have served Christ, and he has never done me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? For that, Polycarp, as an old man, was tortured and executed. Polycarp was asked to idolize and to make an act of worship toward the leader of his country. Now, we don't go that far today here in America, but we hear stories like that coming out of places like North Korea. But if we're honest with ourselves, we do sometimes place our hope for the future in our leader or in our power structure that we're in. My encouragement to you, don't put your hope for the future in President Trump. Just like I would have said, don't put your hope for the future in President Obama or President Clinton or President Reagan or fill in your favorite president. Jesus was the hope for the Roman Empire. And Jesus is the hope for the future for America. Don't put your hope in, for the future in, in any one person or in any power structure like democracy or capitalism, which are good, solid ways of governing. But they don't offer hope for the future. Jesus does. He is our hope. A good way to know if you're putting your hope for the future in a person or in a power structure like democracy or capitalism or a political party is to ask yourself a question, a question that I've asked myself. And that question is, ask yourself, am I an American who happens to be a Christian or a Christian who happens to be an American? This passage shows us the supremacy of Jesus over all rulers, over all structures, over all other gods. Polycarp wasn't willing to even dabble in other religions, in other gods. Wasn't willing to even dabble in them. A few years ago, I was, I was on a flight to Sacramento. I sat next to a woman who was open to talking about spiritual matters. And we got to, got to talking about religion, about spirituality. I told her that I was a Christian. And she said, I don't like to limit myself to Christianity when there are so many other options out there. What a common way of looking at things these days, isn't that? That it's almost like a, a religious buffet. A little bit from this religion, a little bit from that religion. So many people, so many people that you know, know about the God of the universe, but don't know the God of the universe. Now, while there may be some interesting teachings and statements of wisdom found in other religions, salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And the way for real, abundant life is found only in Jesus. And the way to an eternity with God in heaven 
is found only in Jesus. If you're tired of dabbling in other religions, even if it's just a little, 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 one from, little bit from that, a little bit from, from this religion, if you're tired of dabbling in other religions, know that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus and that he's given us a book of instruction and guidance. The 66 books of the Bible reveal who God is. And that's why we teach every week at the Christian Church of Clarence Hills from the Bible, because we believe that it is God's word to us. And not only do we believe that it's true, we believe that it has power to affect our everyday lives. And speaking of other religions, if you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, they may very well try to trip you up on one of the verses, or the very first verse that we read. Verse 15 says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Jehovah's Witnesses say, they use that verse to say that, well, Jesus was, it says that Jesus was born. So he was the first person that was born in creation. And since he was born, he can't be God. They would say that if, if, if Jesus was, uh, since Jesus was born, why would a God be born like you and me? Since he was born, he can't be God. And so they don't worship him. And that's not a secret of theirs. That's core to their doctrine. And Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God, so they don't worship him. And they'll use this verse. It's a heresy. It existed, the heresy existed back then, and it exists today with the Jehovah's Witnesses, saying that Jesus isn't God. And they use this verse as a, as a proof text to say that Jesus isn't God. But that term, firstborn, can have two different meanings. It can mean order of birth, like literally, Jack Miley is, is my firstborn. But it can also mean order of inheritance and place of privilege. A couple examples from the Old Testament. In Genesis, Isaac's children, Esau was the firstborn, but it was the secondborn, Jacob, who got the inheritance and has the place of privilege, even today in Jewish life. Also in Exodus, God calls uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, his firstborn people. They weren't literally, Israelites weren't literally the first people born on earth, but they hold a place of privilege, an order of inheritance in God's eyes. And lastly, in the book of Psalms, God says this about the future Messiah. He says, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So in the Old Testament and here in Colossians, in that context, it's clear that Jesus is ranked highest in creation. It's a position of privilege. Jesus was involved in creation. He was in charge of creation. He ended up coming to earth at some point to be among us, to be one of us. But he was involved in creation he has ex always existed with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And if you want to have your mind blown, at some point sit down and just think about what it's like to always, to, to, for God to have always existed and to always exist in the future. 
There was never a point when God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit didn't exist. It's always existed and always will exist. And not only is, is Jesus ranked highest and the firstborn, but he is also, in verse 17, before all things, and in him all things hold together. That verse, that part of the verse there. In him, all things hold together. Not only did he create the universe, but right now, right now, as I speak, he is maintaining the universe, maintaining a delicate balance. He's sustaining it, maintaining a delicate balance so that life can continue. Did you know that it is a mystery in the scientific community why protons inside of atoms hold together? Atoms are made up of uh, a couple, of different, a couple of, uh, of different particles. One is protons. Protons in the nucleus of, of atoms are all positively charged. You know, atoms are the building block of life. You're made up of atoms. I'm made up of atoms. Your dog is made up of atoms. Every living thing is made up of atoms. Inside the nucleus are protons. And protons are all positively charged. If you remember from high school science, there's... Uh, uh, if you have a, two positively charged objects or forces like magnets, what do they do? They repel each other. You remember like, when putting, trying to put magnets together, your hands aren't even strong enough to, to, to make them uh, come together. Two positively charged forces, objects like magnets, they won't come together. Now, if you have a negatively charged force and a positively charged force or object or magnet, then they automatically come together. But in the nucleus of atoms, protons are all positively charged. There you go. There's the, the purple uh, in the illustration there. Those are protons. The green ones are, uh, are electrons. But protons, the purple, are all positively charged. And yet they still all stick together. Well, what is making these positively charged protons all stick together? The scientific community says that what that force is that's making all the protons stick together is, and I quote, the strongest measurable force in the universe. In fact, it's called the strong nuclear force. It's one of the four fundamental forces of nuclear physics. You all knew that when I asked. You were just too humble to raise your hand. This force is so strong Again, the strongest measurable force in the universe that if the protons weren't held together by the strong nuclear force, scientists have measured this. I, I checked this out this week. The Department of Energy says that protons would shoot away from each other at a rate of 8,000 miles per hour, causing instant devastation to every living thing. There's a physicist by the name of Dr. Carl Darrow who has a quote. Uh, Dr. Darrow, uh, I could not find he had any, uh, had any sort of faith in his life. He wrote this. Who can grasp what this implies? It implies that all the massive nuclei has no right to be alive at all. They should have never been created, but should have blown up instantly. Some force is holding them relentlessly together. When Paul wrote Colossians, we were still thousands of years away from having a scientific understanding of things. 
But we have a glimpse from Paul's letter as to what is holding all of the atoms relentlessly together. Paul writes, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Without Jesus Christ, there is destruction and chaos at an atomic level. And in your life and in my life, without Jesus Christ, there is destruction and chaos. If that's true, if Jesus Christ is the one behind the strong nuclear force, that has major implications for our eternity. What I mean by that is that if hell, by definition, is the absence of God, the absence of Jesus, hell then is constant destruction and chaos with no chance of it improving. If you're outside the faith, if you willingly and knowingly don't have Jesus in your life, don't give yourself to an eternity of destruction and chaos. Now, just a couple verses later, Paul gives a solution to it when he says that God has used Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to himself and all people to himself. He doesn't want an eternity of chaos and destruction for you. He wants an eternity of peace for you. And not just peace starting the moment you die. He wants peace for you starting now, for the rest of your life, and on into eternity. He wants to be your new God. Because Jesus is fully God, because Jesus is fully God, he is the only one who is eligible to make reconciliation between us and God. This passage shows us that Christ is first. He is the firstborn. He is the one through whom everything was created. He is over every power and ruler. He is before all things. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning. He is the one God used to reconcile us to himself. But problems begin when he isn't first in our lives. Because when we put something or someone else first in our lives and Christ then isn't first, everything else gets out of order and we begin to see glimpses, at least, of destruction and chaos. Some people here or listening online, your finances are in chaos because you're not putting Christ first in your finances. With some people, your marriage or your key relationship is in chaos because you're not putting Christ first in your marriage or key relationship. Some, your career may be in chaos because you're not putting Christ first in your career. And some people, your family dynamics are in chaos because you're not putting Christ first in your family. If you want to fix a marriage or key relationship, you always do it vertically first. Don't try to change the other person. That'll backfire. That's counterproductive. The way, the first step to fix a marriage or a key relationship is always getting back to God. 
We all struggle with putting Christ first in our lives. I do. But that should be the goal of us as his followers. To put Christ first in your finances. To put Christ first in your marriage or key relationship. To put Christ first in your career. To put Christ first in your family. Christ should be first at this church. This passage shows us that Christ is first in the universe. But is he first in your life? If you don't know him today, don't let this service end without accepting him into your life. If you're already there, for those of you who know him, somewhere along the way, you gave up placing him first in every aspect of your life to the point where you're now content with Jesus being merely on the outskirts of your life. You may think that it's too hard. It's too difficult to do that. It is hard. It is difficult. It is for me. If you already know him today, don't let this service end without telling him that you want him to be first in one of the areas that I mentioned. For now, it doesn't need to be all four if you're not ready. But pick one of those where you tell Jesus that you want him to be first in. In your finances, in your marriage or key relationship, in your career, or in your family. And don't let this service end without telling Jesus you want him to be first in at least one of those areas. And let him take the place that he is already in the universe and in the atoms of your body holding everything together. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed today's sermon. Please check us out at www.cccch.org and plan a visit for next Sunday. We would love to see you.